Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Why, hello everyone. We made it to another Monday. I hope that your May is brightening up wherever you are and things are warming up and hopefully your allergies aren't going crazy as everything blooms. I'm very excited that you're here today because we have fantastic Canadian author, audiobook narrator, actor. He he wears all the hats, C.C. Humphreys. Um, and I'm, if you haven't read him yet, you're in for a big treat. But I'll read his bio here so you can get a feel for all the talents this man has. And then we're going to let him take off and tell us some stories. So Chris C.C. Humphreys has played Hamlet in Calgary, a gladiator in Tunisia, and a dead immortal in Highlander. He's waltzed on the London's West End, tanned the landlord of the Rovers' return on Coronation Street. Boy, this is a lot of reading for me first thing Monday. Commanded a Starfleet (laughs) in Andromeda and voiced Salem the Cat in the original Sabrina series. A playwright, his plays have been produced in Calgary, Vancouver, and London. He has published 20 novels, including The French Executioner, The Jack Absolute Trilogy, Vlad, The Last Confession, A Place Called Armageddon, and Shakespeare's Rebel. His novel, Plague, won the author Ellis Award for Best Crime Novel in Canada in 2015. He is now writing epic fantasy with the Immortals Blood Trilogy, and the first book in The Smoke and Glass was published in 2019. Book two, The Coming of the Dark, has now been published in the U.K. and Canada. Hopefully, it'll be here in the U.S. soon. He has also published the Tapestry Trilogy, which I'm totally going to talk about because you guys all know how much I love unicorns, and this one has unicorns. Anyway, (laughs) it's set around the fabulous medieval unicorn tapestries in the New York's Cloisters Museum. He has an MFA in creative writing from the University of British Columbia. He wears a unicorn signet ring and always wondered why. (laughs) Now he knows. So I did put a link to Chris's website right there on the Blog Talk site if you're listening live. Or if you're listening later, you can click that too and go check out his website. He has all kinds of really cool information on there, as well as links to the books, audiobooks, and a blog, all kinds of great things for you to go explore. So I don't want to delay anymore. Chris, are you there? I am here and, and, and just baffled by all that information. I'm, I'm not sure I did any of that, but I suppose I did, I suppose I did yes. Right, right. It's all a blur. <laughs> it's total blur, yes. So you have a brand new book out just this month, right, called One London Day. Do you want to tell everybody why they need to run grab it right now? Yes. Well, uh, I, yeah, thanks. I'm, I'm very excited about One London Day. I really, people tend to, if, if they know me, people tend to know C.C. Humphreys as a historical fiction writer. You know, I've done the big epic books uh, like The French Executioner about the man who killed Anne Boleyn and Vlad, The Last Confession is the true history of Dracula, the real Dracula. Um, so books like that. Um, and then, as you mentioned my various hats, as, as when I'm wearing the fantasy hat, I write as Chris Humphreys. So people often know me as, as that uh, with, with uh, both young adult fantasy and, you know, bigger epic fantasy, which the Immortal's Blood series is. Um, but this novel, um, I, I, I've written plays set in the present day, uh, but I haven't written a novel, 
apart from touching on in in some some books uh, on on present days. But I really wanted to write a contemporary novel, and uh, and um, I wanted to write a novel based on kind of my experience of London. Uh, both as growing up there, but mainly as an adult there. And, and especially that sort of London society that I moved in, living in North London. And, um, you know, I, I was a bit of an outlier being actor, writer, general layabout and gypsy, uh, whereas most of my <laughs> friends were, you know, solid, solid business people, you know. Yes, working in I'm banks. I'm very, I'm, <laughs> yes, I'm very grateful to have multimillionaires as friends. They're very nice houses <laughs> in the country I can go and write in. Um, but, um, but, but, you know, that world that I knew. And this novel actually, you know, in screenwriting, they talk about the inciting incident, you know, that, that sort of sparks everything. And for me, the writing of this novel, and, and this began years ago when I heard this story. A friend of mine tragically witnessed a hit uh, an assassination right outside her front door. Um, and it wow. was um, even more tragically her, her neighbor and tenant who rented the, um, the semi-detached house next door. Um, and, and she came out on the street and saw this man gunned down. And it was such a quiet suburban street, affluent middle-class England in, you know, in, a, in a, so almost a suburb of London. And it just struck me as, as strange that, that, juxtaposition of the ordinariness of the street and this sudden violent crime there and so that began it but then when I when I started thinking about that story I started thinking about other stories of London that I loved and people I was interested in so one London day is a bit different it was gloriously rejected by so many crime editors in London going gosh we love this it's noir it's got this great but what is it exactly because there's no <laughs> protagonist per se you follow you start it starts with a hit and you follow the, the, the hitman, you begin with his point of view, but then you go back a few days and, and discover about the victim, who's this very ordinary North London accountant, a, a Jewish accountant in North London with a family and seemingly an unblemished record. But he started doing the books for this rogue MI5 British intelligence group called The Shadows and literally doing them on paper because these days the only... Uh, trail you can't trace is a paper one, right? So um, <laughs> right. also, out of nowhere, he's become blinded by an obsession with a former tenant of his. He's a property manager mainly um, because he saw the small of her back in the sunlight and suddenly his whole life is turned upside down by this glimpse. And so he, well, sort of pursues her. Now, then we follow her and she's obsessed by a the hot young black actor in town called Patrick, who's a bit of a, not a very, he's become not a very nice person and she's not sure she wants to be in love with him anymore. He's sort of obsessed by both his status and glamour, but also a Russian escort called Sonia, who's gorgeous and who's actually ex-Russian special forces. Uh, no one knows this for a while. And she's, um, but she's in London for a year, she's not a, a, a prostitute or an escort, but her daughter has this um, osteosarcoma on her spine. And so she's there to earn enough money, 60,000 pounds in a year to fly her daughter to John Hopkins in America and have the operation. So we follow all these characters and then they loop back. And the second half of the book is literally one London day. And it starts with the hit in the morning in Finchley and ends with bloodshed on the streets of Portobello Market in West London in the evening and all those trails wow. loop up again and we meet everyone. So, so that's the essence of the story. Wow. It sounds like it would be an amazing movie. Like, 
I'm thinking like Love Actually, where there's all these threads, but then they all come together. You, you know, they're all connected somehow. Is it is that how you saw it in your head when you were writing it? Interesting, was it like a movie. Interesting unfolding? analogy. Yeah, interesting uh, comparison. I hadn't thought of Love Actually. Um, they seem to do it almost better in movies, uh, or it's more accepted in movies that you can have multi narrators. Um, right. in, in novels, it's less common. It has to be, or you're a novelist yourself, you'll know that. People tend to like right. you know, one protagonist. I was interested in uh, five protagonists, really, and, and one antagonist. And he is very clearly the villain, this, the guy who runs the shadows, Sebastian. Very upper class, um, very, um, um, you know, just absolutely cold about, you know, he's, he's going to make a great deal of money and anyone who gets in the way gets dealt with. And, and my accountant, Joe Severin, gets in the way. And, and Mr. Phipps is, is the name of the, uh, the hitman. Um, and he's the, uh, the ex-paratrooper. And, um, you know, not a, he, he, he does a job. He's not a hero in any way, of course, because he's a killer. But he, he's quite right. an interesting character. So, um, yeah, it's, um, it, 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 you know, the, the Love Actually comparison, I mean, I would love People always tend to say about my writing, oh, I can see the movie. And, and I right. always reply, well, I, w- I wish you would, because then I'd have a great <laughs> right? deal more money. And I could buy my own house in the countryside and not have to go to my friend's multimillionaire time. Um, but, um, That's right. But uh, uh, I do write in a very cinematic, you know, I, uh, it's my background as an actor. My, my novels are very character driven. Um, you know, uh, that's, that's the number one. I always give my characters something to play. That's what I thought about, you know, all the number of terrible mm-hmm. TV scripts I did where I read it and thought, there's nothing to play here. I'm just a, 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 a cipher, a tool of the writer, as opposed to, I like to write, char- you know, every character, major or minor, has something to play. Um, and uh, so, so in that sense, yeah, I mean, bring it on. Let, let, uh, let the BBC producers be listening to this right now and do a miniseries. I'm game. (laughs) That's right. Well, and we talked a little before the show, but I think you have a little excerpt of One London Day that you were going to read for us. Um, You are like a professional audiobook narrator. We'd love to. Okay. Well, let let me read this little bit from uh, the end of chapter one, really, because it's not giving too much away because I said it began with a hit. Now you said I am allowed to have the odd swear word on live radio. Is this correct? Yes, you, yes, you sure can. (laughs) Okay. Fabulous. We're all grown ups here. Okay. So um, we are grown ups. The the hitman, uh, Mr. Phipps um, has arrived at the house and, um, Joe Severin is expecting a plumber, coincidentally, and has, has asked him into the house. So, um, so um, uh, uh, Mr. F- this is from Mr. Phipps's point of view. Um, Severin had his thumb on his phone, about to make another call. He sighed. Well, there's only one place for a kitchen sink, isn't there? Still, he led the way past a telly lounge on the right into a long room with primrose walls. Cabinets and cookers this end, breakfast bar, a dining table and chairs the far end, French windows onto a long, narrow garden. Phipps crossed to the sink, which was full of half-scraped plates and some dirty pots. Oh, look, sorry, Severin said. Aurelia's not in till ten. Could you just shove them onto the side? I have to. He waved the phone, took a step back towards the hall. Mr. Phipps let him get to the doorway. Kneel down, he said. Severin turned, blinked at him. What did you say? 
Kneel the fuck down, he shouted, stepping closer and pointing the Glock. Oh, Jesus, please, no, I... Severin dropped the phone and it bounced to Mr. Phipps's feet. He kicked it away, stepped forward and put the muzzle to Severin's head. The man dropped hard, arms going wide, knuckles banging into the doorframe. Mr. Phipps followed him down, gun to head, and held out his other hand. It had a hessian bag in it. Put this on, he said. I beg you, I... Put it the fuck on, he shouted, putting weight behind the muzzle. Severin obeyed, but he kept talking, his words soon muffled by hemp. Look, don't do any... I can help. I know who sent you. The shadows, right? The shadows. Mr. Phipps shook his head. Fucking public schoolboys with their comic books, their Marvel Universe superheroes. Or maybe it was their retro geekdom. His father had a 45 by a band called The Shadows. The song title was uh, some American Indian tribe. Twangy guitar shit, anyway. His youthful employers probably had it too, since vinyl was so now. He'd preferred it back in the day when he was hired by old toffs with dandruff on their collars and numbers for their department name. You have something we want, he said softly, putting the gun back. What? I can't hear. He took the muzzle away, moved around behind Sever, and then barked, You have something we want. I do, yes, I do, but they, they're... He could almost hear the man's mind whirling through the bag. He had to know this wasn't good, but perhaps all that was keeping him alive was the fact that he still had something to sell. I'll leave it there, I think. Nice. That was fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm I'm ready uh, to read this book. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I, ho- I hope your listeners are immediately flicking to the Amazon page because uh, it's exclusive on Amazon at the moment to see the cover. I I um I love this cover and a friend. It's a designed by a very talented friend of mine called Robert Robbie Edmonds. Australian artist and interior designer, actually, but he's always been such a great artist. and He's done stuff with me before. And I said to Robbie, have you ever done a book cover? He went, no. And I sent him the book. He read it and he came up with this cover, which I just love with the, the shadow literally moving across the page and, and the Glock used to make the L of London. You know, um, it's, um, I, you know, I, I think it's, if anyone sees the cover, they're going to buy it, let alone look at the, the cover, con- the, the back content, you know? Right, right. And it has a great tagline, the five people, two murders, one day. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. And uh, you, you mentioned Sebastian de Castelli was on your show last week, you know, a friend of mine. Um, you know, we crossed swords, literally. We were sword fighters as well. Um, but but when I, I told him about this novel ages ago when I was writing it, I said, yeah, I'm going to call it One Day in London. And he went, one London Day is a better title. And I went, you're absolutely right. So I, I so Sebastian's <laughs> responsible for that. <laughs> well, he did a fine job. <laughs> he did. So he did I, indeed, yeah. I was going to ask you, and I'm kind of leading you because I already peeked around on your website, but um, you mentioned about that traditional publishers didn't know what to do with this book, and thank goodness. And you're a hybrid author now, right? You've written with traditional publishers, and now you also put books out yourself. Is that right? Uh, this is absolutely correct, yes. I mean, I do that in two ways. One is uh, I uh, get the rights back to my books that were traditionally published or mm-hmm. uh, where the rights haven't sold. And then I and then I either reissue them or put them up for the first time in that in that jurisdiction, that territory. So, for example, my novel Plague, which is a 
18th, wait, uh, sorry, a 17th century religious fundamentalist serial killer story set during the Great Plague <laughs> of London, uh, which, which is a mystery thriller and won um, the best crime, that's the one that won the best crime novel in Canada. For some reasons, uh, the American market was going through one of those sporadic, we don't like historical fiction moments, which happen mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't buy it. So I, I said, well, great, okay. And I, I, that was my first real kick at the can of, of self-publishing that. So I got that up and, it, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I was any form of expert. Um, there are people out there, um, and this is the world we're in, of course. Um, there are people right. out there who are brilliant marketers whose, whose content, you know, I don't want to disparage anyone's writing, but, you know, perhaps they're not great writers. Not that I'm saying I am, but, but you know, but, but they're great marketers and those books do really well. Right. I, I think I'm a you know, after 20 novels and traditionally published and all that, I think, I think I am a good writer, but I'm not a great marketer. So, you know, I get the books out and I, and I, I promote them, um, you know, and I, I try to do, you know, obviously I talk to people like your, your good self uh, to try to spread the word and, and um, you know, try to, try to catch a bit of fire on something. It, as you know, Lisa, it's very hard. The competition is ferocious. There's just yeah. way too much material out there. <laughs> So to right. attract anyone's <laughs> attention for a nanosecond is hard. And then to yes. not only attract their attention for the nanosecond, but also to attract their attention enough to make them click and actually look at the page and then click again to buy it. That, that's, that's the game these days. But I must and say then what read I do it. like about it is, <laughs> well, and then read it and then hopefully write a review for it because reviews are vital. Yes. And, uh, yes. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. But, I, you know, I do like it. I, li- I do like the, the control aspect of it. You know, it's my, yeah. the cover I commissioned entirely down. I mean, I, you know, there's a wonderful old English expression. Where you, you don't buy a dog and bark yourself, right? Which I, if you hire a great designer, you let them go. And then you make the odd tweak. But, uh, but Robbie did such a marvelous job on this. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I, too, am hybrid. I, I always keep one series with a publisher, but I, I try to do the rest on my own because I do like to control. I'm kind of a control freak that way. And, uh, right. and it is very fun. But then the bulk of the work of promoting does completely fall on your shoulders, which is a lot. So, so it's a, it's both ways yeah. you know, have their yeah. pluses and minuses. Absolutely, yes. And, you know, I'd, I'd, uh, it, 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 the, the truth of the matter is the publishing game has changed so much that, you know, I earned a living uh, for 15 years as a traditional publisher. They gave me enough money to live. That changed right. about three or four years ago with the big, I think the amalgam of Penguin and Random House changed that partly and just the way the marketing right. And sales departments run the big houses now. Really, editors have less leeway to say this is a really good writer. Let's give him, you know, a living wage. Um, right. So, uh, so that you know, it requires you to go out and do your own thing if you want to keep writing. So that that's what I do, and also to branch out. And as you say, I'm a audiobook narrator now. That is my day job. That's what I do. So, yeah, um, and you know, fitting in marketing. <laughs> oh well, thank you, thank you so much. Thanks. Well, I wanted to ask you, too, about that, that publishing journey. Our readers who listen are always so interested in how it all happened. And you seem to be, you know, you come from an acting background. And, you know, did you always want to be a novelist or did you want to be an actor and then you fell in love with the written word and became a novelist? How, how did it all happen for you that you became well, a it, published it, author? It's a, 
Right. Well, it's it, it's all a bit lost in the mists of time, I suppose. You know, it was a long time ago that I became an actor. I've been acting for 43 years now or something. So, um, you know, I, I come from a family of actors. So that was one thing that was, you know, my, my dad was an actor. All my grandparents were actors. Uh, so I was definitely wow. not going to be an actor. I was not going to be an actor. My mother <laughs> definitely didn't want me to be an actor. Uh, but I stumbled into the lead in the school play and suddenly all the jeans kicked in. But I think I, I did all, you know, that part, I did want to be a, a writer. And I'd always written. And throughout my 20s, I scribbled mainly journals, actually. But, you know, but, but what I didn't understand, and I think this is something that, that some of your uh, listeners who are writers themselves or aspiring writers might be interested in, I, I didn't understand that writing is a process. I thought it was an instant thing that happened and you were great and or not. And, and so I'd write things and I get swept away by the enthusiasm of this imagined idea. But then after a couple of hours, I'd read it back and think, well, it's not like my hero's writing. You know, I, I obviously can't do it. And, and it right. took me many more years. You know, I was 25 years an actor before I wrote my first play. And then I started understanding that, no, it's, it's a, series of steps it's not a finished product straight away it's playing it's experimenting and actually i teach this stuff now um this is you know i teach a a, a workshop called the mountain a novel as a as a series of ascents you know the free climb of the first mm-hmm. draft the more measured climb of the second the, the working with your editor on the third all that sort of stuff so so yes i mean when i when i had the idea for the french execution of my first novel about the man who killed anne boleyn henry the second wife who he had executed by a swordsman uh i had this idea for this wild tale but i didn't start writing it for six years because i thought well you know i just started writing plays a play is like a hill a novel's a mountain you know but i started researching the novel <laughs> You know, I thought if I ever write that novel, which I probably never will, I'll have to put everything in it I love. Like, oh, here's a book about slave galleys. I'll put a battle at sea between slave galleys. Here's another book about the Black Mass. I'll, I'll put a Black Mass in with the villain in Sienna. And Sienna, I want to read about Sienna. So, so <laughs> after six years, I finally read a book about mercenaries in the, 17th, in the 16th century. And I was, that was it. I suddenly went, I just got to write this book. And I, because I'd thought about it for six years, I wrote it quite fast, sent it. I, did, I, I sort of went after a, a London agent uh, because I was living in London at the time. And I, being an actor, I knew all about agents. And so I thought I'd get an agent first rather than approach a publisher directly. And I, I went after this one agent from a very big agency called Curtis Brown. And uh, I, I didn't quite stalk her. There, there was an element of stalking, <laughs> but... but Fortunately, I didn't get prosecuted or anything. And anyway, she took me on and she sold the book immediately in a two-book deal. Uh, and um, oh my and God, then my, pub, yeah, my publishers then kept hitting me with contracts, living wage contracts. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I've done it. I'm, I'm now a novelist. I, I have to tell you, though, Lisa, the, the fact that, that I've just published my 20th novel really baffles me because I just think – how and I and I look I, I suppose I did and I look at my bookshelf from my books and I go oh oh yeah and then I'll look at the book and I'll think I remember this journey you know I remember because every book is a journey <laughs> yes. um, but but it's yes. still I still think 20 oh my goodness and I've actually written 21 because I'm waiting for the third book of the Immortals Blood trilogy well it's just come back and I'm just about to edit that and so that'll be 21. Oh my gosh congratulations Plus, and that's, you. you know, in between all of the audiobooks and acting gigs and all that kind of stuff, too. So it wasn't, you know, like you were just writing. 
No, no, it's it's a busy life. That is absolutely true. <laughs> so, so can you tell everyone the? I I love when I find an author who can really do justice to their audiobooks because it wasn't until recently that I really got into audiobooks because I thought it was somebody reading you a story. I didn't realize that it was like a story coming to life with actors. And it wasn't until my uh, audible bought one of my series and put them all out in audio. And I thought, well, I should listen to them and see what, and then I listened. I was like, wow, it, it's almost like your book is a book. And then it, the audio book makes it almost a movie. And, you know, and it was just a whole new facet to the book. And how do you feel like you're not only writing the books, but you're also reading the books? What's, what's the, um, you know, feeling of bringing it up to the next level? Well, it's it's very interesting you ask that. I, I when I went into the studio with my first novel, The French Executioner, and I, I, I you know a publisher had hired me to narrate my own novel. It was in Oxford in England actually, and I went into this little booth, and I sat there and I opened the book uh, at page one, of course, and I started reading, and, and uh, I got to the end of the first paragraph and I stopped. And I said, oh, sorry, can I just have a moment here? And the engineer went, oh, you're okay, Chris. I said, no, no, I'm absolutely fine. I was just laughing to myself because I'd made this discovery. I write to be read aloud by me. <laughs> it was just so strange. It was just so, you know, my, and, and, and people do say when they read my books, if they know me, they said, it's like, it's like you're here. And so the audio book was a, was a natural progression of that. Um, you know, I do... I, 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 my, my thing, you know, I'm, I, I class myself with all of the different hats I wear as a storyteller. That's essentially what I'm here on this planet to do is tell stories. Um, and um, I, uh, I, I find the, um, you know, with, the, with, with all the different ways you can tell stories. When I write, I, you know, as I say, I, I think I'm a good writer, but I don't write to draw attention to the writing. I write to tell a story. And if someone wants to pause, and I have people who do this, if people want to pause and look back and reread something, go, that's a good sentence, you know, then great. Um, right. But, uh, but what I really want for them is to get, is, you know, is, it's what my job is, is what your job is. It's to uh, right. give people a break from their daily life and transport them somewhere else. You know, and, and that, that's, that's the ultimate to me. That's why I get such a buzz, because I believe absolutely that a, that a book, a novel, is made by two people. I mean, leaving aside editors and all that, it's made by the reader and the writer, the writer and the reader. Yeah. The, you know, the, the book I've written is not exactly the book the reader's reading, if you get my drift. They are mm -hmm. creating images. They are taking it into their own life, they're relating it to things that have happened to them, that, you know, the, the different things, the similar things, um, they, they, they will think, I can absolutely see this person, this, this um, right. Sebastian who runs the shadows, who's this cruel upper class, I can see him, you know, I grew up with some of them, you know, so, um, <laughs> you know, that, that to me is the fascinating thing, that, that the writer and the reader make the book. Yes, it's very symbiotic. I always feel like when my book is done, I'm done with my part, but it's not really a book until people start reading it and I see reviews show up and they love this person and they hate this person and the, you know, and this part made me cry and then I feel like, okay, now it's a real book, right? Abs absolutely right, Lisa, yes. 
So we're quickly running out of time, but I want to know what's next for you. What, what's, you said you have to edit a book, right? Is that what's coming up next? Or do you have another book uh, percolating in your head you want to tease us with? Always, always. Well, there's several things going on at the moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, owning a living still, audiobook narrating. Um, I'm also, right. I, I decided to adapt my novel, Vlad, The Last Confession, The True History of Dracula. Uh, in, into a, a, it's not about the vampire. It's, it's about the real guy who lived in 15th century Romania, Vlad the Impaler, in fact. And I, right. my, that novel was easily my most successful novel. It's sold in 13 languages. It's sold probably close to 500,000 copies around the world. And, and it's been optioned several times for movies <gasps> and stuff. And I decided I'd like to, you know, it, nothing's happened. Um, you know, things rarely do, but I, I decided to give right. it a go and adapt it as a screenplay myself. So I've, I've, uh, I'm, I'm just working on that, doing it as a screenplay. Um, but I'm, what I'm also doing, I have an, I have a not, yeah, I mean, who knows, but uh, just an exercise more than anything. <laughs> um, because it's not my form. I've written screenplays before and I am a playwright. So, but uh, the, the, the next novel I'm doing, which has been an ongoing project for several years, and I'm going to really get back to this in the fall is called Sonata at Midnight, and it's a World War II saga loosely based, loosely based on my parents' story because my dad was an RAF fighter pilot. My mum was a spy. Um, in, wow. This is, this is real, in real life. So I'm, I'm, I've, I've already, I'm about 50,000 words into it. Uh, I'm writing it, um, you know, not, oh, I, I have got a publisher just in Toronto at the moment, Double Day from Penguin Random House, who are going to publish it here. I haven't, um, um, my agent is working to try to get some other deals, but that probably won't happen until the book is finished, which probably won't be till um, late fall now. So, uh, so yeah, I'm going to come back to that. I put it aside for the moment, um, but that, that'll be the, that'll be my next novel. That'll be novel 22. Oh, my gosh, that's so exciting. Well, I could talk to you all day, but we're running out of time. So um, is there anywhere you like readers to get in touch with you through your website? Do you have Facebook? Where where can readers yeah. find you? There's a, there's a, Facebook is obviously good. There's a, you know, I've, I've got a Christy Humphreys page. Um, you can follow me at Twitter and, and uh, the, at Humphrey CC. Uh, I'm also my website. Yes. There's a contact button there. So if you want to send me an email and uh, find out more stuff or chat about stuff, then, then that's great. And, and you know, that's, that's uh, authorchrishumphreys.com. I know you've got it up on your site, but authorchrishumphreys.com. Yeah, there's a link there is, too. Great. Yeah, no, people can get in touch with me that way for sure. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for coming on today and sharing part of your day with us. And that was so much fun. Everybody get out there and grab One London Day. I can't wait to read it. And I can't wait for the movie. It'll make a fantastic movie, I can tell. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I certainly hope so. And I'm sorry we never got a chance to talk about unicorns, but another time. I know. Next time. Next time we'll talk unicorns for sure. Okay, you're on, Lisa. You have a great day. Thanks for joining us on Book Life. You too. Bye-bye. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.